Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Jesus sees the big picture, and sometimes he allows us to face those difficulties because God's got a plan in our lives and because God uses suffering. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you. Note, first of all, that this is a prophecy. Again, it's not a prophecy that I don't know anybody wants to claim, but he's saying, you will be tried. Our study through the book of 1 Peter reminds us that there is a much greater purpose for our sufferings than we will ever know. When we choose to glorify God and even rejoice in our trials, we allow God to do His perfect work in us. We make our suffering count for something and count for something beautiful and powerful. May this teaching out of 1 Peter 4, 12-19 bless you and prepare you for the trials to come or get you through the one you're in right now. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. For anyone that suffers, understanding what's in 1 Peter chapter 4, the end of the chapter, is probably the most important information that you and I need to have about living here. It's not that God just wants us to suffer, that coming to Christ is is making a choice to live the rest of our lives suffering. In chapter 3, verse 10, I think it is, Peter says, for he who would love life and see good days, we can have that heart's desire and hope for the future, that we could love life and see good days. He gives us some, some help. He says, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking evil. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against all who do evil. But if you want to love life and have good days, well, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Jesus said, he who the son of man sets free is free indeed. Jesus talked about a peace that this world doesn't have and about a joy that is unworldly, that is different than this world has. And our lives as Christians are full of that joy. There's a brightness to it. But in contrast, there's also a darkness and there is a cost. There's a contrast in our lives. There's a contrast in the world. There is brightness and there is darkness. There is good and there is evil. There is love and there is hatred. When you focus in on the evil and darkness and hatred, you become cynical and pessimistic. When you focus in on the light and love and goodness, you become annoying. So there needs to be a balance between the two, understanding that life is a mixture of those. And what makes the light seem so bright is that it is shining against the backdrop of darkness. You and I have those high spots in our lives. And I hope you're living in a high spot right now. I hope God is just blessing you and you are feeling the blessings of the Lord. But I also realize as I give this that some of you guys are in the depths of it right now. Life is difficult. It's tough. It's hard. And maybe you even have thought, this isn't what I signed up for. When I gave my life to Jesus, I thought all of my problems were going to be solved. I would like to know who told you that. Let's take them outside and flog them if they told you that. Because never did Jesus promise that all of your life would be, you know, roses from here on out. In fact, he said, in this world, 
you will have tribulation. It's not a promise we claim. I claim that in the name of Jesus, tribulation. It's a a promise that we read and go, I hope it's a ways off. But it's a promise, nonetheless. In this world, you will have tribulation. Don't be shocked by it. Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my name's sake. When the, the persecution comes for the sake of Jesus, then that's a blessing in our life. And we ought to see it as such when we're persecuted at work or we're looked over for a position or we're made fun of, we ought to see it for what it is and rejoice in it, even as Jesus told us that we were supposed to rejoice in it. Now, these guys have been uh, living in Asia Minor. It's not that their lives are always bad. It's not that there's always struggles, but they are living in a particular time when, when persecution is going to hit. And so in verse 12, as he returns back to this topic, this isn't the first time he's touched on the topic in the book of 1 Peter. It is the main topic. It is the highlight. He starts by saying, beloved, He just finished talking about walking in love. Above all, have fervent love for one another. And as you received a gift to minister to that to one another, be hospitable without grumbling. Kind of talking about our relationships with each other. And now he says, beloved. It's like he gets down to being serious. He doesn't use beloved the way John. John uses the term, my beloved. John is saying, I I love you guys. And, And Peter may indeed be saying beloved in the sense that he loves them but I think more so that God loves them. Beloved, I'm gonna talk to you about something serious. I'm gonna talk to you about something difficult. I'm gonna talk to you about something hard, but I don't want you to think that you're not loved. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick and knew that he was going to die, it says, because he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed two more days where he was before he went back to him where he died in that interim. And you could say, that doesn't sound like love to me. But Jesus sees the big picture. And sometimes he allows us to face those difficulties because God's got a plan in our lives and because God uses suffering. It says, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you. Note, first of all, that this is a prophecy. Again, it's not a prophecy that I don't know anybody wants to claim, but he's saying you will be tried by a fire and it's on its way. And don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials which come upon you, which are to try you. The fiery trials, wouldn't it have been enough just to say trials? Did he have to say fiery trials that are going to come upon you? I mean, James has told us rejoice when you encounter various trials. There's all kinds of different trials. But here he says, don't think it's strange when fiery trials come upon you. You know, there's that heresy out there that if you come to Christ, then nothing bad will happen to you. You'll never get sick and you'll have all the money that you want. And if you are sick and you don't have money, then that's a lack of faith. It's like they never read verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Don't think it's strange when fiery trials come upon you. Don't think it's strange when you're persecuted. Don't think it's strange when tribulation comes comes your way because God's going to try you through it. He's testing you. God's doing something in you. When we suffer, something happens within us. Look at, look at verse one of chapter four. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When we suffer, there's something that brings us into reality. This world is 
temporary. This world is not our home. We are looking forward to a place where there will be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pain. And so God uses trials to, well, bring patience, as what James said. Again, I don't know that I ever pray for patience because patience brings trials. Lord, give me patience. Give it to me now. God brings trials into our lives and they produce patience. Suffering produces a tenderness towards God in our hearts. And suffering, well, there's a connection to the power of God. It says, the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. As though this is, this is odd, this is strange. Some people, when they make a commitment to Christ, they, they commit themselves to Jesus because they're going through a divorce or their marriage is rough. And they think, Lord, if you can just save this, I'll follow you. And then something bad happens to them. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the death of a child. Maybe it is a divorce. Or maybe it's something that happened financially that has just completely and totally wrecked you financially. And people will come and I'll see him after a while and they'll say, well, you know what? This happened to me and I don't follow God anymore. If he's going to let this happen to me, then I'm not going to follow him. Again, I don't know where we got the idea that if we would make a commitment to Christ, that nothing bad would happen to us. We are to sacrifice ourselves for the sake and the cause of the gospel. Our lives are to be living sacrifices that are consumed for him. And in whatever way he sees fit to consume our lives. Not like some strange thing has happened to us. Like, I can't believe this happened. I'm not going to follow the Lord anymore. We ought to get closer to Jesus when we face difficulties. When Greg Laurie lost his son, Christopher, he lost him in a car wreck. His son had been wayward for a long time and had started working at the church and was putting graphics together for the church harvest and just doing a great job and uh, made a connection again with his dad and his mom, his family, and um, was going down the road in his car and went over into the, one of the lanes that had a, uh, had a street sweeper there and was killed instantly. And when Greg Laurie got that news the next Wednesday night, he didn't teach, but he was there. And he walked out on stage and he, he said, I just want to say to you guys, he said, first of all, I would have never have chosen this in a hundred years, thousand years. He says, but I still believe. And I think those were the strongest words that a pastor, that an evangelist could say that even in the midst of his sorrow and his difficulty, that he still believed and that he would trust God, that God had a path for him to walk. And even though it wasn't a path that he would ever choose, he would walk down that path. I know exactly how Greg Laurie felt. He says in verse 13, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. Now, this is an important point. And this is why I said in the very beginning of this study that you have to know what is said here about suffering because we are partakers of the sufferings of Christ. Are we partaking in sufferings? My suffering, the Bible says, completes the suffering of Jesus. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how the suffering of Jesus is, is incomplete. His death upon the cross was for all sin, for complete and total atonement. The only thing that I can think is that through my suffering, the gospel is spread. We know that the world's eyes are upon us. We know that we have taken the witness stand for Christ. And when people see us suffer and continue to shine for Christ and to live for him, 
then they are drawn to Christ. Christ is exalted and we are completing the suffering of Christ when suffering is in our lives and we suffer as we are supposed to. Paul said that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. Paul even prayed that he would know him in the fellowship of his suffering. I don't, I don't know that I'm that bold to pray that. Although maybe we should. If it takes suffering in our lives for people around us to be drawn to Christ and make a commitment to the Lord, then take our lives and use them in whatever way you see fit. And if there's anything that's true, it is that given enough time, unless the Lord comes back, and I'm gonna say the next 30 minutes, someone in here is gonna suffer in some way. Unless he comes back in the next day, or many are gonna have tribulation, and if he doesn't come back for five or 10 years, every person in here is gonna suffer in one way or another. It is for real and it is for sure. And so he says, rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. It ought to be an honor for us to give the suffering that we have to God and say, God, would you use this to exalt your name and to lift you up and to glorify you? When I lost my wife, Lisa, of 30 years, to lung cancer. It was unexpected for us. We were the people who say nothing like this happens to us. We had had nothing but, but success and blessings. I'm not saying we didn't have any hard times in those 30 years we were married because we were married. <laughs> there were certainly difficulties, but we had had years of blessings just years of them. And, and no bad thing ever happening to anyone close to us during those 30 years. There's something about 30 years of nothing bad happening that makes you think nothing bad is ever gonna happen. It's something that happens to other people and God uses us, me and Lisa, to minister to them in the midst of what they're going through. When they first found the spot in her lung, we thought positively. He said, well, you know, it's a mass. It could be valley fever. We don't know. Let's get it biopsied. Then after it was biopsied, it came back as cancer. Then they had a PET scan. The PET scan not only found a spot for third degree lung cancer, but for stage three, but for stage four as well, because there was another spot. And it immediately took everything off of the table. Lisa lived for a year and three months after we found out and she was on a targeted gene therapy and did very well during most of that time. In fact, she went trick-or-treating. She died on December 15th. She went trick-or-treating with the kids on Halloween, dressed up as a princess with Emma as a princess as well and was strong and healthy until just, just a couple of weeks out. During that time, we would discuss, we believed God was going to heal her. We really did. I thought, what better way, God, for you to be glorified than for a pastor to have his wife get cancer and be healed? And, and when she did so well in the beginning, I thought, you know, we're ahead of this curve. Technology-wise, it was a new treatment that she was getting and it was working well. But we would talk, what if God's gonna take me now? What if this is the end? And she said, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to end my life even for the glory of God, even if God's glorified for it. 
Then she said to me, you know what? I better not find out it's you that God's trying to do something in that I'm losing my life for. (laughs) Now, she was teasing me, but there was some truth in that. God was not only doing what God was doing in Lisa's life, that she would run her race and, and live for Christ and die for Christ and eyes would be upon her when she did. And she did, she died well, she died bravely. She put her mind upon Christ. She encouraged those that were around her, even in the midst of her pain. Lung cancer often isn't very painful. Hers was very painful. If you would have told me two years before she got cancer, two years before she died, if you'd have told me that she was gonna get cancer, it was gonna be painful and that she was gonna die, I would have said, Katie, bar the door because Lisa complained. I'm not talking bad about her. I'm just telling the truth. Lisa complained quite regularly. And I would have thought, oh, this this is not going to be good. I've been married to her for 30 years. This is not going to be good. But she set her mind on Christ and she put her eyes on, on heaven. The closer she got, the more she talked about heaven and the more she encouraged people. She began to say, I'll see you around the corner during the last week of her life to her friends, to her kids, knowing that It wasn't going to take much longer. And God glorified himself through all of that. But once she she was gone, all of a sudden then, things went from being so healthy for her to all of a sudden then, she's gone. And in my mind, I had kind of settled in when she took that turn for the worse there in the beginning of December. In my mind, I thought, well, I'm settling in for nine months, 10 months, a year of taking care of her, a year of her being here. And every day she got worse. And I remember thinking she died on a Saturday. And I remember thinking the Friday before she died, it was a bad day. It was a bad day and a bad night. And I remember thinking, putting her to bed, it'll be a better day tomorrow. You, you know you're up against it when you're just looking to the next day. It'll be a better day tomorrow. Just, you know, another day. And the next day she went to be with the Lord. It was then that my real suffering started because I was so busy taking care of her, so busy from the moment that I, I found out about it, I was on the phone. I was trying to find the best care, the best doctor, the best, the best place to take her and then taking care of her through it all. And all of a sudden, I was alone and full of grief and sorrow. But what I didn't realize as I look back on it now was that during that time, maybe even now, people had their eyes on me. What's he gonna do? I started teaching two weeks after she died. She died on December 15th. I came back on New Year's Eve and I taught and I taught from then on. And a friend of mine said to me, well, do you, you, you think you came back too early? And I said, yeah, I do actually. I had a few messages I really struggled with because of, you know, you're challenged. God, why would you let this happen to me? I had a few messages that I struggled with, but, I, but I, then I asked him, but what was I going to do? Sit at home in my chair? To get back to the body, to, to get back to teaching God's word was incredibly powerful. And God used not only her suffering for his glory, but like she said, If this has anything to do with you, you're in trouble. (laughs) 
Well, it did have to do with me. Not all of it. I mean, it was her race to run. I'm not saying that God took her life for me. I'm saying it was her race to run, but God used the sorrow and the difficulty in my life that people could watch it and see and know that it is a hope that is in Christ and that we should rejoice to the extent that we are partakers of Christ's suffering if people come to Christ. When we're in heaven and we're looking back at this time, this time will seem like a vapor to us and whatever we've suffered, whatever could be consumed for him and for his glory, we will say, God, thank you that we were able to do so. Look at what he says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly joy. When the glory of God is revealed, and I take it that when the glory of God is revealed from your suffering or when his total glory is revealed, you will have exceeding joy because you suffered. It is an honor. It is a gift to be able to suffer for him. Now, everyone's going to suffer. That's the, well, that's life. It's not just, we're not just talking about Christian suffering. We're talking about everyone's suffering. You and I have the unique aspect of persecution, which we'll talk about here in a moment, but everyone's going to suffer. And how sad it is for a non-believer who suffers for nothing when you and I can suffer for the glory of Christ. And you think, well, that's easy to understand when you're talking about a pastor. You're up in front of people, how God would use that in your life. But that's, God's not gonna use it that way in my life. I just don't influence that many people. That's how God works. God works with the little seeds and watering the lives of people around us. There's just little seeds that are planted. And all of us are called to be that light and to influence family and friends and coworkers for Christ. All of us. He says then in verse four, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you're reproached for him, if you're made fun of for him, if you're persecuted for him, Jesus said rejoice and you're blessed. Here we're told we're blessed again. We're blessed if we can be persecuted for him. All you students here that are laughed at and U of A or Pima because of your faith, because you're a Christian, rejoice. You're blessed because of that persecution. I, I like to tell students, enjoy it because you won't always be persecuted. There may come a time when you and I face persecution, but when you're in college, that's a special time of persecution. You can stand up for Jesus and be persecuted there. He says, on their part, he is blasphemed. It's not that good is happening. When they're persecuting you and they're mocking you and they're mocking Jesus in you, it's not that good is happening. It's blasphemy on their part, but on your part, he is glorified. God's using the persecution to glorify him. There's blasphemy taking place, but God's using persecution to glorify his name. Now, not all suffering is good. Suffering for his sake is good. Suffering the illnesses, the sicknesses, the accidents, the difficulties and struggles that come into our lives, the losses, God can use those for good. But have you ever seen the bumper sticker that says, um, life is hard and harder if you're stupid? Good bumper sticker. We can make our life a whole lot harder. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.